Um, right. As soon as you said Pancake Day, I was like, yeah, this is <laughs> when, when do we want to do a big old intro? Uh, how about now? Hello, everyone. This is the uh, episode two of That's a Rap podcast. I realized uh, the last podcast, we didn't actually like properly introduce ourselves. We just said our name and not who we were. So who are you, Matthew Parkinson? Uh, hi, I'm Matthew Parkinson. I Shocker. am a film student at Bournemouth University, a third year film student. Mm. I'm 20 years old. I like films and long walks on the beach. I'm graduating in uh, oh, don't remind a few us. months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's also known as Matty P. Matty P is, yes, that's his my un- nickname that I had at college name. and now at uni. And, and to the grave. Probably. Probably. I, I, I'm Joe Downey. <laughs> I'm the other co-host. Uh, I'm also in my third year at film. And uh, yeah, we've got a we've got a guest, our first guest, our first guest. And do, you, do you, our next guest needs no introduction because they're going to introduce themselves. Okay. Uh, yeah. Hi. I'm Jack Hockaday. I'm a BA film graduate. Um, you don't need to know anything else about me. That's a need to know basis. Oh dear. Cool. You didn't have breakfast. <laughs> yeah, I didn't enough. have breakfast. That's what <laughs> he, I disclosed he's to Matt. Breakfast. Uh, yeah. Um, he voted. No, I, voted, I won't make that. I joke. voted breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gonna make it. I wasn't gonna make it. Oh dear. <laughs> anyway, uh, boys, we've got four films that we're gonna talk about today. Mm-hmm. I believe. Um, starting off with The King, which I thought would be such a good debate piece, but realised that over time. We- we just don't care for it anymore. I, yeah, we saw it, what, in November, I think? I Beginning it, of November? I saw it in, like, December. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. December, like... So, know. either way, it's been, like, three or four months. Well, this is, us. like, this is a thing, like, I'm just going to point it out now, Joe. You seem to have this, like, weird psychology where you think someone either loves or hates something. Right. And so, oh. this is, like, a thing that Joe's done for the past... Three months, or like maybe months, two months. months. Wow. I, I, since I watched The King, I, I said, he goes, oh, I hated The King. And I went, it's not that bad. And then ever since then, he's gone <laughs> to everyone, anyone who ever wants to talk about The King. Well, just to let you know, Jack Hockaday loves The King. I bumped into uh, Joe Lomax the other day and he said the same thing. Oh, I'm just getting attacked. <laughs> no, not not a thing about you. It's like, oh, I heard Jack loves The King. Yeah, it's like, do I love The King? <laughs> no. I don't love the king. I'd give it a solid like I don't know three and a half stars. Like yeah. it's it's fine, you know? Like there's nothing wrong with it. Well that, no, that's not true. There is stuff wrong with it, but that's three and a half stars out of fifty, just <laughs> like it's it's a fine film. Like as far as like an adaptation goes, it's an adaptation of William Shakespeare's Henriad in the form of Henry V. Um I think it's quite good. It's quite interesting. It sparks new life into the play. makes it more interesting. Timothy Chalamet is very good in it. Um, it kind of fleshes out the character of John Falstaff a bit more. Like, it's, it has good points. I, I heard somewhere that... Not somewhere. I heard from Joe. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> oh, peaky. Yeah. Sorry. Um, no, not, I don't know how to sound mix. Nah, it's sorry. I heard somewhere from Joe that um, that the editing's really bad, and I watched it, and to my surprise, the editing was just slightly subpar. It's there are some quite there are some bad edits. <laughs> like there I is, think that yeah. just straight up don't match up. There, there are like, there are some bad edits, but if I'm talking like basic continuity editing, editing and rhythmic editing, it's fine. There isn't anything that stands out too much other than specific scenes that just. I don't know, like, there's a weird scene with some knights, and they just... He's coming know. for our gig. He's, uh, he's dealt with this Joe, if you want to remove the knife from your back <laughs> and uh, rebuttal, if, I'll well, let you go first, yeah. He's, he's like, dealt you, with you this very have... eloquently, whether, yeah. I, whether I'm more like, oh, it's just very boring. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm kind of in agreement with you. Like, I, I thought the film was quite boring as well. Uh, I feel the need to expand my vocabulary. Go, go on, please. Like, no, no, like I feel oh. like you have more to say about the film than I do because I was very I did in three months ago. As someone who professed right. to hate it, come on, I need some I, fodder. Here. It's 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 died down that hatred. In general, I just okay. think it's. But like, like looking at it retrospectively, what it's a film that had a lot of potential, and I think because it didn't meet that potential, uh, meet its potential, mm-hmm. it was just overall very bad and by the numbers, in my opinion. Um, it was just a bit of a slog, and the third act is is a massive slog for me, and it could have been so much better. I think it's more from a potential point of view that I'm I, I'm disappointed, but I guess that's the element of hype, maybe. 
I don't. Know. I didn't get any hype for the film really, like other than Timothy Chalamet being it, because I didn't know the director of it. I think you knew who it was, didn't you? So, I, yeah, I, so I didn't. It's, it's David Michaud, who's yeah. an Australian director who's w- worked with um, Rob Patterson before, right. Joel Edgerton before. He wrote, he co-wrote it with Joel Edgerton. Uh, this this one, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I just had, I just yeah, I really wanted it to be good. That's fair based enough. off of the director yeah. and the cast and the the potential that I had, and yeah. it was just you know kind of middle of the road. And now I feel like I'm really not eloquent in in putting my. Opinion it's fine. Before. Like I I I have a similar opinion really. Like I think my main issue was it with with the film was that it spent more time talking about its plot rather than doing its plot. Right. I think it was like the whole thing was about the war with France, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Henry the is it Henry V, isn't yeah. it? His war with the French king. Right. Played or the by Dolphin. Robert Pattinson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now and it's is like, the verdict what's the verdict on Robert Pattinson's performance in this? If you'd asked me in November I might have been able to give an answer. <laughs> I can't remember. I think I, we delay a review. I remember him being good. Uh, I don't remember him. I don't remember his accent being off-putting to me at all. I, I, you know, maybe I should watch it again. I don't know. What do you think, Joe? I, I thought it was. Um, it was a bit. It was definitely him having fun. Mm. You could tell that he was enjoying this role and that he wasn't taking himself too seriously. I feel like I could quite easily imagine Robert Pattinson doing like a very serious and quite intense kind of French kind of accent but he chose to do a very sort of flamboyant as if and it plays up the idea that he is at the end of the day just like some 20 something like trying like he's been put in this position of power and he has no real like understanding of how to kind of wield his authority so he's just kind of throwing these like slight jabs at Timothy Chalamet who's in a way his parallel as they're both these kind of prince-like figures who have been put into stronger positions mm. of power and both of them it's kind of the compare between the two and like how they've kind of how they've handled their power differently i suppose yeah. i think you, you remember this film better than i do <laughs> like, i think because we, we're like <laughs> the, if siskel and ebert just didn't watch the films because <laughs> we did talk a bit through it i think when we watched it, it when did bit. we watch this i'm gonna pull this uh, up second of november i'm saying really? That's what I'm, I think. I'm going to be really professional and pull up, pull up my letterbox. It was, I think, the first film I saw in November. Oh, I'm not logged in. That's annoying. Uh, so, I guess, yeah, the way you view it definitely uh, it is a part of your experience. I don't know how to phrase it. Yeah, it's this. almost as if when you pay attention to something, <laughs> it probably up. improves the experience quite no, a lot, isn't it? Well, we, we sat down. We, 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 we sat down. Yeah. <laughs> We went the extra mile, and yeah, we well uh, we sat down. <laughs> oh my god, my wording today. So we sat down, ready for the king, and at some point during the king, I decided to go and drink because I was so oh, disappointed. Oh yeah, I, I forgot it. about that. Yeah, we don't condone <laughs> drinking. Guys. I, I think I, I suppose yeah. that that is a valid criticism, though, isn't it? If if you can't really sit through, if if you find yourself kind of we did give it a chance. We, yeah, we, we gave it a chance. It got forty minutes. If you switch off, and it's a bit like yeah. it got forty minutes in, and it was just Timothy Chalamet talking about the plot of the film, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, okay, this isn't gripping me. I'm gonna just you know zone out a little bit. Well, not zone out, but I'm I'm not really invested in this film. Is, yeah, was my thinking really. I'm still trying to find when we watched it. Jesus. Oh sec- yeah. Uh, so the November second? the second. Yeah. Wow. God. And then I rewatched it with you in the middle of an all-nighter. Where, yeah. Again, context of how you watch it on like no <laughs> sleep. Well, you were like you came, you just woke up halfway through. Yeah, I was just like in. napping in between. Yeah. <laughs> I probably should just watch it normally. And you, maybe so you've I'll seen enjoy it twice, and both times have been just like <laughs> I just struggled with it. It okay. It could have been something so much better to me. And again, that might be an issue of overhyping a film or have like seeing the potential in a film and if it doesn't meet that potential it's a worse experience but i mean it was yeah. better when watching it with 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 you jack yeah. but Look. um the issues that i had with it the first time i still had it on second viewing especially in the third act where you, you, yeah they throw a subplot at the very very end expecting you to care when it's like we've just wrapped up the film uh, uh without spoiling it to talk about it it's, it deals with a marriage subplot that is very tacked on, and it again. I'm messing up my words. It, uh, yeah, I find I find it like the the interesting thing. My biggest criticism of the king is that 
it essentially tries to rewrite history in favour of England, which is right. an intro, which is what Shakespeare did when he wrote it originally, when because he was kind of like doing like sort of like a dramatization of actual events that occurred with Agincourt, but like it kind of retroactively tries to justify why we as a nation decided to go over there and kill a bunch of French people, basically, right. because there wasn't originally this. There wasn't really originally a reason or some conspiracy that, you know, we'd secretly been tricked and the king had been duped. It was actually just that we were, like, conquerors and we wanted to conquer the place. That's interesting you say that because a lot of, like, I know a lot of people really like this film for its historical accuracy. It's it's historically accurate insofar as the way people drowned in mud and it's historically accurate in in the haircuts (laughs) and, like, you know, a lot of places like that. But in terms of, like, this kind of idea that, King Henry had been tricked by his advisors to go do it. I mean, it's probably a true statement that, like, a lot of, like, you know, advisors generally do give advice and tell them to do things and all that. But, like, at the same time, like, he, I, I doubt there was some kind of big moral conundrum about it. It right. was, as a nation, if you think we've got weird nationalistic ideals going around now in, like, the mid kind of, I don't know, like, I don't even know which century it was, to be honest. Like, I, I think I it was 16th. Beats me. Um, Ages ago. Yeah. yeah. Was, Yonks ago. Yeah, it was a good yonk. It was a good yonk and a bit. A I'll yonk say. and a half, yeah. Um, they de- we were a nation of people who thought we were the best at everything. Right. So, of course, we were going to go and take over other places. And it, I think, in a way, I'd criticise the film for kind of harking on that kind of nationalism and kind of saying, look, we were the you know, the good guys who were just trying to do what was best for our country, look at us go kind of thing. And it's like, mm, you know. Yeah. I've got a du- like double-barreled question. Um, what did you think of uh, Joel Edgerton's uh, performance uh, as well as his performance in regards to him being a co-writer on the project? And also, what did you think of the Game of Thrones comparisons with the, the Battle of the Bastards sequence uh, being compared to... Well, no, the other way around. Is that a swear you just did? Oh, yeah, we're gonna get <laughs> we're gonna get shut off. It's the fine air. in context. It's, it's, a, it's a quote. Uh, no, uh, it's basically a lot of people. Are, well, I don't know a lot of people. There have been similarities between the battle sequence in the King and the battle sequence in one of the Game of Thrones episodes. Is it a ripoff? Is it not? And then the other question was like, what do you think of Joel Edgerton's performance specifically as he's a co-writer on it? So is it? You know, is it out of vanity? Is it too showy? Is him being a writer and performing in it improving the character? Because I know you said you like the how they build upon the character of Falstaff more in this. Mm. Maybe I think maybe that's probably because he's the co-writer on it, and it's, uh, he like. Yeah. And I don't know if someone else was gonna play Falstaff instead of him, but it from my from the way I saw it, it looked like he he wrote it as if he was gonna perform it. Again, this is playing into my grad a bit because I'm acting in something I'm writing. It, it, it so happens a lot in, into in films, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, I'll let my AP take this one first. Okay, yeah, yeah go ahead. Go no, I, just, I don't have much to say. Like, I can't... I, just, I remember so little about this film. <laughs> I, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I, just do I don't have a lot to what? say this. But is that I, like a part of the film's quality, though, that it doesn't have that a lot of staying power? Well, yeah, like I said this before, like, it didn't grip me right. at all. I didn't find any of the characters in it that compelling. I thought it was... You know, it was all just dialogue, really. It wasn't... It was all just... A... It was all just, you know, like, characters talking about external things that we, the audience, don't care about, right? really. Like, you know, French politics and whatever. And it's like, I, you know, I want to know about the characters, <laughs> you know? I, su- I suppose maybe I think a reason why I have uh, an inherent bias towards it is that it sounds kind of lame, but I do care about the French politics stuff. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm very interested in, in that. Like, I'm interested in like the the idea of how historically Henry V is kind of considered uh, one of our greatest warrior kings because what was so famous about him was that he's one of the few kings who would stand on the battlefield as another soldier and it was he could have quite easily have died, but he survived. he survived through sheer will, basically. And so the idea that you're watching this kind of character who at the beginning is kind of this kind of fool sort of figure who'd get drunk all the time, then have to take on some serious responsibility. And there's that scene quite early on where he, I don't know if it's spoiling it, but he has a, he basically engages in a fight with a one-on-one fight with someone to defend his brother. And Mm -hmm. I won't say who, you know, I Mm -hmm. mean, 
who wins, but at the end of the day, it's called the king. So I wonder who wins that <laughs> the fight. The king's brother. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, I find it quite interesting how he's this kind of serious. He, he's this very laid back character and likes to do all this crazy stuff. But when it comes down to it, he was still trained in warfare, and so it's interesting to see a character who doesn't take himself too seriously, but when he needs to, can use kind of the seriousness of his training to kind of aid him and the way that all of these other people are kind of have these weird kind of rules that they keep thrusting upon him and all these different kind of opinions it seems very interesting that he's just kind of wading his way through it so in terms of that that didn't bog me down but that's because like I care I was that's fair enough I was I was kind of predisposed to care about that because that's part of my interest so like it's not really fair to not to like to know to diss people who don't like it because yeah. you can't expect everyone to like that kind of thing. One one yeah. more quick thing before we wrap it up. Just yes, just going. I was going to say we should probably yeah. yeah. Just that I just wanted to ask about the Joel Edgerton part. What what do we? What um, is everyone's thoughts on that? Or uh, what, what's what's your question? Is your question was his performance good or what is your question? Should someone act and write at the same time? What what are you asking? I guess. Did it come across as vanity through him writing, being a co-writer on the project? Because like his characters would, in other at- adaptations would be more of a side character, right? Well, or, he was he was I more of a comic <clears throat> relief, right? Like, I, okay. I, I don't think it's vanity, or at least it doesn't stand out as okay. vanity because right. this isn't like this isn't the first time this no. has been done in yeah. films. It's done all the time. I also like, I, yeah, I also would say like I mean I didn't. I don't think anyone came out of that film going, "Wow, Joel Edgerton, Edgerton <laughs> yeah, died like at the end of the Timothy King. Chalamet is very yeah. much the yeah. star. Like of I, that, isn't I he's yeah. put at the forefront, and I'd say it, it actually hammers the message of the film home a bit more. That at the end of the day, he was he was kind of the brains behind the operation right. that greased the wheels that made it happen, basically. And so he had a plan that was very risky, and he as you know, Timothy Charlemagne's character is this warrior king going in fighting as one of his men. He felt that it would only be right that he would be the one leading the execution of that plan. And so his his death also makes the fact that, I, you know, the end, the end kind of reveal of the film that mm-hmm. I won't spoil, um, is that's why it affects Timothy Charlemagne, so, one Timothy Charlemagne, uh, Henry V so kind of much because he's like, well... That was my mate, you know, and yeah. like, mm. um, and in a way that's selfish, but it's also a way for the audience to ground themselves because, as much as we like to think we're all empathetic people, when we see a huge amount of people die on screen, we don't really empathise that much right. with them because they're yeah. just this homogenous mass. Whereas, when there's a particular character that we've been with who's actually been quite a comic relief, but also quite a kind of moral compass of the film, when you see that, what happens to him happen, um, you're a bit like, well. Yeah, now I actually have feelings about it, or you should at least. Right. If, if you don't, then obviously yeah. the film hasn't done its job properly. But mm-hmm. it, I'd say I say it worked yeah. without spoiling. Yeah, but, bits and bobs, but, but so I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's vanity so much as it was necessary for a twenty first century audience to be able to empathise with the completely pointless loss of life right. that was the the film when you find out what happens basically, and it wouldn't have been effective if you just went. Oh, a bunch of nameless people died, you know, because right. it's just not. Yeah, 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 yeah. So overall, if <laughs> the historic elements, <laughs> if you, if you're a fan of that, the king works. Um, where's the king lack? I've got I've got one yeah? point that I'll try and articulate okay. in twenty seconds. <laughs> We're timing uh, now. <laughs> Battle of the Bastards. Only thing it's got going for it is that it came out first. Right. It was inspired heavily by the Battle of Agincourt. So yeah. I think. It would have been a disservice to the historical accuracy of the piece yeah. if the film hadn't been similar to Battle of the Bastards, because the the one that would have, if they changed it to make it more original, they would have done that. I said that in inverted commas. They would have done that. <laughs> it, at, like I keep at, nodding, yeah. and then I'm like, oh wait, you can't see it. They keep doing that at the disservice of the um, of I guess the like the historical accuracy, which is something that is to be applauded. It's that. You know, people drowning in mud is kind of like the stuff they didn't show in Lord of the Rings as much. You know. Yeah. Mm. I think what I've gotten from this this discussion is that Jack was the right person to talk about the king. Yes. <laughs> we're vastly underprepared. No. Yeah. He took a lot more from it than I think <laughs> either of us did. And yeah, I'm glad we brought you on <laughs> to talk about it. 
yeah. Should we wrap it up? We should probably overall yeah. thoughts and opinion. Like just a quick. Wrap I mean, up my sentence. opinion on it hasn't changed. Okay. I've still it it left a bitter taste in my mouth. The film. Okay. Maybe I need to rewatch it with right. You know, <laughs> with a, me commentary with, with, with a kinder right <laughs> with yeah commentary. director's commentary. But yeah, yeah. overall, okay. I don't feel the need to rewatch it. I don't know. Let's yeah. yeah. Should we go on to our next? The so next one. Oh yeah. Sorry. I was going to say yeah. Despite like all of my praise of it, <laughs> it's still a three point five. Yeah. But that just Fair goes enough. to show like right. Yeah. Three point five <laughs> is good. <laughs> I would say. Yeah. All right. Akira. Akira, which is a manga adaptation. Um, it was originally how many? How many books? It was a six volume six manga. Volumes. Yeah, six volume manga. Um. It came out in 1988, and we, we rewatched it recently. And, and it's one of the few yeah. animes animated on ones, yes. I think. Can yeah. you expand on that? Explain what that is. So I will try and explain this properly and correctly, <laughs> but I believe it's when you have... So animating on ones is where you have one drawing per frame. So if you have a film that's like 24 frames, tw- 24 frames a second, you'll right. have 24 drawings per second. Mm-hmm. And that basically means that the animation will run very smoothly right. because you have all these drawings in rapid succession. I think most animes and a lot of other animations don't quite animate at that fluidity. Right. So especially animes because you look at the movements in some mm. of them, even like films like Spirited Away, and it's kind of the movement is a bit more jagged, yeah, I think, yeah. whereas in Akira it's very smooth, it's, yeah. very realistic, very... You know, it's Which nice works to look for at the chase scenes and uh, oh, absolutely, through, yeah, um, through the. Is it, it is just Tokyo in the in the film, right? Neo Tokyo. Neo Tokyo. Yes. It's set in. It's set, I think it's set last year, actually. Isn't yeah, it? it's set in twenty nineteen. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. It's, wow. Uh, like if it's set after World War Three, yeah. I think oh, isn't it's, it? it's last inter- year. I'll just do a quick. I'll read off the quick synopsis from Wikipedia, and then we'll we'll jump sure jump right into it. Uh, Biker Canada is confronted by many antisocial elements while trying to help his friend Tetsuo, who is involved in a secret government project. Tetsuo's supernatural persona adds the fight. This is the worst synopsis ever. I can do a synopsis better. Yeah, than that, man. wow. Wikipedia really—they <laughs> f- just went. Tetsuo's supernatural persona adds the final twist. That's not a good synopsis. That's, mm-hmm. Bruh. Do you want me to you, just explain? Yeah, as an Akira yeah, fan, can you please? You do it. Um, yeah. You're really helping us out today. But basically, uh, Akira, <laughs> Akira, since it was made in the 1980s, mm-hmm. is portraying a future from the perspective of the 1980s, similar to like Blade Runner, basically. Right. Mm. Um, the premise is is that at some point during the early 1990s, um, there was a nuclear war that ravaged uh, Japan, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, however. It, there was basically we get to see this massive explosion and we don't know where it came from, but you'd assume it was some kind of super weapon. But was it really? Dun dun dun. Um, it turns out it was a government experiment gone wrong, but it sparked a war with other nations, which completely ruined Tokyo, and they had to rebuild it into some like kind of like half done like scrap town that looks like it's basically made of like old metal and stuff, and everything's a bit kind of hodgepodge together. Right. Um, and it's basically about how a bunch of youths who have grown up in that environment, none of them have parents because they all died in that war. So everyone's kind of, the law is a bit shaky and it's kind of quite a fascist dictatorship and stuff like that. And no one really knows what's going on. And that's kind of the premise of Akira. I think when you go through the premise of Akira, um, it's such a deep law that because of the law, its narrative is a bit all over the place. And maybe it that's, it, yeah. that's because of the, the way they adapted it or just of, of all the elements that Jack just said that um, build up to before the film even starts. Like, I, I did struggle at the beginning while watching it. And I think what not just the beginning, but throughout, I, right. I did struggle to figure out what exactly was going on. Right. But I think where the film saves itself is... So one, the animation mm-hmm. is gorgeous, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. And also, I think you you mentioned uh, Blade Runner before, mm. which is interesting because it's that's another film I think where it's sort of its mood and its tone sort of exceed the actual narrative of the mm. film. Like you're more focused on the world building and the so it like and mm, not sure. What. <laughs> no, I get, you, I know, you, I get yeah. yeah. So so 
Blade Runner came out, uh, I literally just had it up. Oh, no. What's that? So, Akira came out, uh, the film came out in 1988. Blade Runner was six years before, I think. But I don't know when the original manga came out of Akira. Yeah. When when did the original manga come out? I will look that up, but for now, um, stall. But it is, yeah, like I was saying, like I was struggling to say before, (laughs) I think... With both Akira and Blade Runner, it's a film where you're more immersed into the actual world itself rather than focusing on the specifics of the plot and the character motivations, I think. Yeah. I it's, think. It's it's very... Um, my perspective is, like, interesting because when I was... I first watched it when I was 14. I was a massive weeaboo at the time. I was like... <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't sugarcoat it. I was, I was really into manga and anime. Is I was on our censored list or no? Weeaboo. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. Come on. I'm it's, allowed to it's say It's not really it, a know. swear. No, I know. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I was really into manga and anime. Thank God I grew out of that. No offence <laughs> to anyone that loves it, but I just... It really stunted me socially. Um, but Akira was something that I kind of clung on to even after that because right. it, it appealed to me. And when I saw it then, I loved it. And then I kind of... Ages afterwards, when I was like in my third year of university, I started reading the manga and I was like, I'd give it a go, you know, and it was six parts. And I was like, I wonder how they managed to stretch out this really short story mm-hmm. into six mangas. And then I realized, oh, wait, no, the manga's really, 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 really good. And the film is a kind of hom- convoluted hodgepodge, like, mm. that is just an amalgamation of everything. Yeah. I, yeah. And again, through that, the the narrative is just all over the place. If if the film wasn't animated and it was right, and if and if it was live action, it would be a bad film. People would look at it the way people look at the King. I think I, I like in the sense that it's it's so messy and not in kind of a really kind of ambiguous way right. like maybe you'd say two thousand and one is. I, it's like more of like just this. There's a bunch of subplots that's trying to squeeze in that the manga yeah. could. It felt like something came beforehand, and I was watching a sequel of, of some yeah. sort, and yeah. that there's yeah. something I missed throughout. Yeah. And then multiple characters get introduced halfway through or throughout, and different twists and turns that just again come across as messy. Going off the Blade Runner thing, so the original run of the manga came out December sixth, nineteen eighty two, and Blade Runner was nineteen eighty two. Same yeah. year, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know if Ridley Scott did get any influence. I I I severely doubt it. Honestly, mm. uh, I know I I believe Akira has some influence on Tron, or if anything, Tron Legacy. Probably mm. because of the bikes. I think Tron was the same year wow. as well. The original Tron. It's 1982 was the year, wasn't yeah. it? For, yeah, kind of for, sci-fi, for neon sci-fi, sci-fi neo noir <laughs> yeah. things. Wow. <laughs> so I I guess some positives. The soundtrack I love. The soundtrack, soundtrack. The soundtrack is definitively, in my opinion, the best soundtrack in cinema. Which is quite. Oh wow! A, oh, wow. It's okay. quite a bold a big statement. Claim, yeah. But um, not honest, Nicholas Bratel the King. No, no. Literally, <laughs> the I I love the Acura soundtrack, yeah, and yeah. the reason why I love it is because when I listen to it without watching the film, I just imagine the manga instead of the like the film. Okay. I think. Yeah. Is because there's so much, and I think what you hear in the film is so little of what there is of the actual soundtrack if you were to just listen to it right. all the way through yeah. it's really really good I love it the soundtrack is like weirdly spread it out on the internet so you can't listen to you can only listen to one song on Spotify and then yeah. I don't know how that works but ju- I, I just I just listen to it on YouTube yeah. they've got a playlist you can watch all 10 um, songs I think if we're going off of because there are talks of it being adapted for live action uh, we, we were re-watching it but when watching it the other day I think we realized that like, you could not do this live action unless it's like no. a lot of CGI. And that's that's the case with a lot of animated films, yeah. I think, isn't it? I think even it, with CGI, it, it would look a bit bad. I, I, yeah. I, because I, there is a certain like charm, isn't there, to that 2D I animation? I mean, it saves most of the film <laughs> in yeah. terms of narrative. Yeah. The, the way it looks. Well, it's it's like very what I said, isn't it? Like, yeah, the very fluid animation just and just the, 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 reds very, and the, neon. the very advanced world building yeah. in the film. It just... It draws you in, I yeah, think, definitely. and it's I, 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 you can forgive a lot. I disagree. <laughs> okay. I disagree. That's yeah. Fair. yeah, I disagree. No, I mean, I think I think stylistically, it's it's gorgeous and everything yeah. like that. But I I think it could be adapted. I don't think it should be adapted into like a right. single film, mm-hmm. but maybe a TV show. Yeah, maybe like a TV series. But like I I think you you could achieve 
something spectacular from it right. if you had the right kind of like person if, if doing the, it. Yeah, that and if the narrative was more focused, I believe. Cause yeah, it's just, yeah well, exactly. But like, that's why I'm saying don't do it in a film, yeah, do it in yeah. a six part series instead yeah. of like, you know, actually adapt the manga instead they've, of adapting it. They've been trying to, to adapt film. it for a while. Like, at one point, Leonardo DiCaprio was a producer on it and they wanted to get Christopher Nolan to do it. Um, at some point, Jordan Peele was involved or rumoured, and now it's Taika Waititi. He's just cancelled shooting it in order to do four, four, four Love and Thunder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. Uh, this again is not really reviewing the film because we're talking about other yeah. elements of it. But <laughs> I don't think Taika Waititi matches Akira. I mean, he. I I think there's there's an understated comedic element to Akira, right. whether it be the film or the manga or any kind of media I feel like from I'm it. pronouncing it wrong. I keep saying Akira. I, just say just say Akira, okay. unless you want to sound weird and pronounce it, with a, like, you know, in the right. Japanese, it's, it's just easier right. to say it that way. Okay. But like... Yeah, sorry. The, um, I think no matter what, there is this kind of comedic element. The, the whole idea of Kaneda, the character, in the manga, he's actually just a character that things happen to which mm-hmm. is kind of what happens in the film as well except he, he takes has, on more he of a ta- hero he takes on more of a heroic end. role whereas in the manga the joke is is that every other character has so much of like this these moving parts going on they've all got a purpose like they've got you've got revolutionaries and you've got like the general trying to kind of yeah make every you know trying to save the city but also he's a bit of a fascist weirdo and you've right. got tetsuo kind of growing in power yeah, you've got the and kind of scientists as well yeah and kind of like just, just this dude yeah he, like he's literally just this dude who's there and he's like dumb and he's not <laughs> very likable and he treats women really badly and bad things happen to him, and he's kind of just the the fool. Of, right. He's the John Falstaff of Acura. <laughs> and the film kind of goes, well, this is the closest we've got to an everyman, right. and turns him into that. And mm. I think it's... So Taika Waititi, I think, could do a lot with that comedic element, but to be honest, I think if Nolan had done it, it would probably be the closest to, to like what I would consider a worthy adaptation, yeah. probably. But still set it in Japan, because there's been yeah, yeah, people no. have been trying and to still not keep do it that. animated, right? <laughs> or... No, I'd, I'd say give, I'd say give, um, give live action a go. If you yeah. were gonna, yeah. re- if you were gonna redo it animated, I'd say get the guy who directed the original one, who's still alive. He also wrote, he also did the original manga as well. Mm. In fact, I've heard rumors. That's that... weird that he. Like put it all into one then. If he wrote yeah. the manga, well, he it's because he wasn't going to get cleared to do a six part series. They, oh, okay. they he was told. Oh, did he try he to, to do it? Then? Yeah, oh, he, okay. like, and now he's trying to oh, do right. it into a six part series, but as a, as an anime. Oh, so, hmm. I mean, that's something to look forward to if yeah. they do that. Yeah, Hope definitely. he animates it in ones. Yeah, because <laughs> it looks yeah. good. How long to be does fair, animating in ones take? Because you were telling me about Richard decades. Williams. <laughs> does it really? It does, no, not well. It it takes a long time. Right. It, took it takes like, a long time. It took them like something like six years oh, to do, to like animate yeah. the film. Oh dear. Um, so elements I liked of the film were there's a, a lot of body horror in there towards the yep. end. Mm-hmm. Um, I rewatching it, I realized um, a chronicle owes a lot to Akira in terms yep. of someone going mad with power. Um, I, I, yeah, I believe Chronicle does a lot with that, and then also just a lot of great Mad Max esque moments mm. in the beginning with the bike chase scenes. I love the bike scenes, yeah. um, especially with how they animate it and a lot of the the the, the bike neon just trails. Cyberpunk in general, yeah. I think as a genre, yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's where I see the positives. Again, the negative is with with its narrative. Yes, yeah. I agree. I mean, like again, like it I felt I, like a, some some of it felt like a bad Dragon Ball Z episode <laughs> in terms of dealing with certain characters and th- them popping up out of nowhere. I mean, I, if you, I I wouldn't really compare the two, man. No, <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't really say that it's a. I mean, like Acura, I still think for all its like narrative convolutedness, it still has big big ideas yeah. and still has quite a lot of good narrative points. It's just the pacing of those points where it's just there's no breathing room for any of it to stick because it's like oh now we're going to do this now we're going right. to do this now we're going to do this whereas uh, if you're going to compare it to like a bad Dragon Ball Z episode I, it's like, I meant bro. with how it deals with the narrative and the lore where it's, it, that's how it felt like to me anyway but um, yeah that's all I got to say with Akira yeah yeah, that's like, fair. yeah. fair enough I mean yeah I'd say it's it's a, it's, it's a fantastic film it's kind of funny because I just spent ages <laughs> defending the king a film that I rate way less than Acura, but now <laughs> a film that I would consider a five-star amazing film, I'm kind of going at it and digging it. But you I consider think, it five-star? 
Yeah, I can. That's, I right. I consider it it's like seminal. It's like I think if you're if you're interested in the genre, if you're interested in animation, if you're interested in those themes and ideas of this kind of the idea of raw power and its kind of corruption of people, I think it's a very like interesting and like film, and it's also quite a interesting kind of comment on Japan's cultural identity and so far as I mean I can't really spoil it but like it has a lot to say about where Japan stands in the world stage and how it's kind of the nuclear aspect yeah yeah definitely um but yeah I really like it but I think I guess I guess the way I kind of talk about films is films that I didn't like as much but get a bad rap I really get on the defensive but films that I can safely say I adore I'm more willing to kind of give mm. a critical lens on them because yeah. it's like you know you like, have the underdog approach to films oh, not, not like that I think <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's just I know like, what you're saying yeah, though, yeah. I, I just if I, it's my favourite film you like to play devil's advocate yeah if it's my favourite film yeah. I, I want to be able to criticise right, you want to be able right. to pick at it cause, yeah because you know no film is perfect I no, right. yeah. no that's fair yeah um, yeah overall like I said it's a beautifully animated film with a great score I really like the body horror elements of it just overall I felt like it was convoluted deal with the, due to how it dealt with its law. Um, and I believe that's all we've got to say with Akira I think, in yeah, general. Yeah. Um, would you guys recommend it? Yes, yeah, yeah. definitely. Totally. Of course. Perfect. Okay, here we go. We've got a lot of time. We do. <laughs> we just wrap that one out. <laughs> I was going to start singing California Dreaming. Oh, please don't. I've heard it about six <laughs> times today. Right, just here we go. We went from the king... To Chunking Express. Wow. Uh, came out in 1994. <laughs> you deserve no credit for that. I know, I know. It came out in 1994. It's by Wong Kar Wai. He made this film as a break from Ashes of Time, because Ashes of Time took two years to make. A long time. Yeah. <laughs> a long ashes. A lot of time. ashes. Um, it was during the post-production of Ashes of Time where he would... Uh, Wong Kar Wai would uh, take the actors from that film and go and basically improvise and experiment uh, a film and uh, uh, Chunking Express as a break from Ashes of Time. Um, yeah, there we go. So, I think Matt has the most fresh uh, take on this film as he watched it this morning. Yeah. Um, what is it about first? So, from what I, t- it's about. It follows two stories, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Both about police officers who go through breakups in different ways and it's showing how they try and find love again basically and they both do it in different ways with different people yeah and honestly like i i thought it was good i thought it was a competently made film but i didn't love it i think like with with both stories i was quite jaded towards them i think like the first one seemed to be going for like this noir kind of story right. and it didn't really like I, I think it thought it was I don't know because it was going for like the traditional noir type story in that there was all this voiceover and like the femme fatale and this you know police officer character who's like in this gritty environment and you know talking to himself he lives alone he's lonely and I think it didn't really subvert that genre in a very interesting way and I think it thought it did in that it had some like it, it, I've seen I think three one car Y films now and he does a lot of French new wave editing well, doesn't it, he? Well it's Hong kind Kong of. new wave in the way Hong that Kong they took new, yeah, yeah, yeah. inspiration from French new wave yeah, I don't Hong know how Kong. you differentiate them necessarily but um, I think yeah. I, I don't know how to differentiate apart from obviously countries yeah yeah, yeah. but I think but they, they were very, like Wong Kar Wai and other filmmakers in Hong Kong were very very much influenced by French New Wave and I believe wanted to expand on it um, and I, th- I think yeah. I think there is a difference between how he uses it and how you know the French used it I think sometimes I love the editing style way more in this than say Breathless I, I haven't yeah. seen Breathless yet or but a French New Wave film yeah yeah, yeah. The way it, yeah the discontinuity editing yeah I thought it was cool I thought it was um, he's used that type of editing in a more constructive way in films like um, we watched In the Mood for Love recently I thought that editing style was used a bit more competently and more constructively in In the Mood for Love I thought it sort of lent itself more to the direction whereas in um, Chunking Express I thought it was cool but it seemed a bit too sporadic for my taste I think so you were saying it doesn't subvert the neo-noir aspect, but surely through its experimentation, it's subverting that. 
because it's very, well, it experiments they, they it stylistically, experiment. yeah. I think, but not narratively. Okay, I think is what I w- what I would say. But maybe I missed something that's with that, it. But I just fair I don't enough. Know. Yeah, um, I haven't seen any neo noirs with like dual narratives. I guess. Mm. I mean, well, the, the, the first narrative doesn't deal. No, with... the, the yeah, only the first right. story kind of deals okay. with that. I think and. Then again, it doesn't work as... So there's a separate film that we've watched called Waves that you could mm. arguably say is two films in one. I think with Chunking Express, you couldn't separate the stories and and just watch one separately. I think they both yeah. play to, play into each other really well. One, one of the stories is longer than the other, so there's not a lot of overlap. But yeah, I don't think you could break the two stories into two and just watch one over the other. Um, no. Yeah. I'm not saying you should, because they deal with the same themes in right. a different way, and it is interesting drawing parallels between the two stories, I yeah. think. But I don't know. I was just... I, Yeah, it didn't leave an impact on me, I right. think, Fair enough. as much as it did with you two. <laughs> Hockaday. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I know you really like this There's a special fact film. about this film with you, right? Um, which? It, it's one of your favourites? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's one of my all-time favourite <laughs> films. Um, but how come? Uh, I... It's, I suppose, again, it's partly down to nostalgia. It was when I got into film, one of the first films I properly watched. Um, it At the time, I was very much like, mm, I don't know how I feel about it. But watching it repeatedly, I've only really liked it more and more as I've gone through it. Um, it's uh, like, if someone tells me they don't like it, I really can't blame them because it's such a kind of... I don't know, like, hit or miss film, to be honest. Right. Um, mm. I do think that um, it does have neo-noir elements, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily trying to actually be neo-noir right. or a deconstruction of neo-noir. I think it's using those elements but not trying to kind of adapt it or adopt it into itself as kind of like an actual use of the quote-unquote genre or whether or not you can call it a genre which is a whole other can of worms yeah, yeah, so we're we're Wikipedia is but, calling it a drama slash romance which yeah. I mean that's just a bit of a like, broad I'd, stroke yeah, yeah. but it, it, for me it's it's even the first act is whimsical it's about the character there's a lot of comedic like, elements like in the, the, char- yeah. the character is this police officer who when he's doing his job is extremely serious and on it and he's like catching criminals in this like really fast paced environment and then out of work he's this <laughs> idiot <laughs> he's an absolute idiot in fact all of the characters are right. in a sense just really slow not in like a you know they've got like learning difficulties or anything like that but in the sense that they are all complacent and liminal they're all kind of in their own space not really conscious that the world is changing around them and it kind of leads into the theme which to be fair was explained to me so it's you know when a <laughs> maybe theme... i need to read about this film <laughs> exactly. rather than watch it <laughs> but um but uh the theme is actually about the handover of hong kong um from the british to the Chinese in okay. the 1990s, and I didn't get that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah. and I think either. that's a thing. Like, if if a film needs to be explained to you, how good can it be? Like, I'm yeah. not saying that's a can of worms. I'm not <laughs> saying to you don't like yeah. the film. I'm saying like because there are films that you can analyze, but you can also enjoy in isolation. Right. I think yeah. I don't think this one was one of those examples for me. Anyway, right. I you know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I again, similar to Jack, I have a sentimental place with this film in the yeah. fact that I was taught it in college, so therefore I have that bias and nostalgia with it. That's fair. Like, I, again, I watched it today right. for the first time, so I have like no. Yeah. I mean, I mean, my, my like my defense of that point is yeah. that uh, the film I don't think was a, it wasn't originally made for export. I don't think it was originally made for. What do you, what do you mean by that? As in, it wasn't made for a global audience okay. initially. Right. Oh, really? I mean, like, okay. which is a, which is a weird like which is a weird defense to make, but. It's one of these things where, yeah, as foreigners, we're kind of at a disadvantage to really understanding the cultural impact. I remember a a similar controversy I read about was with Parasite, actually. A lot of people had, um, I don't know if it was a lot, but uh, I knew people had like reservations about the use of the kind of Native American imagery in it and the Mm. kind of... Are used to the teepee and the use mm. of the the kid loving, and them calling them Indians, and a lot of people were saying that's disrespectful to Native Americans. But it's, it's a the co- rich family yeah. that it's a rich a it's a rich it's yeah. a rich South Korean family yeah. who, in their eyes, 
view capitalist kind of America as this kind of ideal. And there's right. even that line in it where they say like, oh, it's made in America, yeah, so yeah, it must yeah, be good. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of overlooked as something that if you're not familiar with the, I guess, the Korean cultural ramifications of the work, like the upper class and working class dynamic, then yeah, it would make sense because if it was an American film, it would be kind of right. offensive unless it was commenting on the characters. But so with Chunking Express, I th- I do think that a lot of Hong Kongese people who watch it do get it because it it was That's made fine, yeah. it was made in a specific time period and it wasn't really made for us. But even still, that shouldn't be something I'd, that I'd, is like I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised if it was even like made to be released because this was just like an experiment. You said it was in, like an in between film, in, didn't you? It was a yeah. break. I don't I like I don't know whether or not he had plans to release it, but um on like. Him and Tony Lung and Fei Wong would just go off and go into Hong Kong and film some yeah. like mm. experimental scenes. A lot of his films don't have scripts; they just have outlines, and, and he writes them with the actors yeah. on the go. It kind of shows. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> Another no. thing I'd like to say about the film: this is kind of like a jokey <laughs> side comment, right, but right, it right. does kind of have some gravity. Dreaming. I think. Yeah, yeah. It I love overuses it. the California Dreaming it song. Oh, I'm serious. It comments yeah. on this though. Yeah, but. It- <laughs> So it gets away with it. But it, it tries it, it from what I, I've it. gathered I from it. it, it seems to it tries to be a motif, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Because like, oh, she wants to go to California. We're gonna play California Dreaming. She's a fanatic of it. And again. Goes to California and realizes it's the exact same as Hong but Kong. But it just it feels the way that they use it so often and so abruptly, like it just appears right. sometimes. It it comes across more as a gimmick than right. a motif, I think. Oh, definitely. It was just we, uh, distracting we for me it, and so just annoying. One of our lecturers screened it uh, recently, um, and at the screening, it got to the point where like most of the crowd would start singing along <laughs> to it. The amount of times it popped up, and yeah, it it there was it a point because yeah, yeah. someone gave her a CD. It's like, oh, you should play this CD. I was like, don't do it, <laughs> don't do it, <laughs> don't do it. And then they start playing it. It's like, gosh, no. no. It, I do really like the soundtrack though. Like, it's cool. It's not a lot of tracks. Yeah, but, like, I, it's I, like three songs. Isn't my, it? I, yeah. well, I think the, the the version they do of Dreams is great. That's I that's love by Faye Wong. Yeah, 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 that was yeah. good. I that love was, that. That and was good. What a difference a day makes as well. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, dreams I really liked. California dreaming, I would have forgiven more. Yeah, they'd if used it was it used less like once. <laughs> I think if they'd use it, maybe even like twice, just yeah. again and again. Like I think at the beginning of the first, at the beginning of the second story, they use it a lot in like the yeah. opening alone. I think, and it's just like stop. <laughs> Going off of the um, whether it was made for export, I think the way he uses soundtrack uh, is very interesting uh due to these are all uh either american songs or um yeah pretty much all american songs except for the fei wong cover mm. uh, it really helps for other outside audiences i know that barry jenkins is incredibly inspired by Wong kar wai with his films and the way that part of how he got into uh chunking express was like the what a difference a day makes song being played mm. which is a, an american song and it i guess brings a level of relatability in what is a like a foreign experience to certain viewers yeah yeah um it's i yeah. i think it it's for me what i love about it right. is it's kind of comment on globalism and okay. the like if you look at the imagery how does it do that sorry so <laughs> yeah so so <laughs> if you explain. if you if you look at the iconography and imagery there are there are shots of small looking characters behind massive mcdonald's billboards right. and like recognizable brands all over the shop just in the background kind of almost filling it like that like like in Blade Runner 2014 right. like 9 where like you've just got these massive like splayed images and it's kind of the idea that no matter where anyone goes at this point or in the point of the 1990s like you can't outrun Mackies they're there wherever. Is this something you got while watching it or yeah, did you no. oh, okay yeah, this right. was, this it's was, not something you had to no. read about okay No this oh, was something with the table by Sorry, the way that's this, fair enough. this is yeah no, this is something that I picked up on okay, myself yeah. and it completely fits in with this kind of idea that she goes to LA and comes back and she goes, it's the same there as it is here. Because right. no matter where you go now, there's basically going to be a McDonald's everywhere. And there's like this idea of everything coming together. And so the fears and anxieties of, I don't know, changing ownership as a nation doesn't really matter when everything is kind of the same, when the world is kind of culturally coming to an epicenter of sameness and in the same way if that makes sense mm. also like i think another reason why i really love the film is that i i think just mentally i categorize films 
in a very specific way, if that makes sense. So I, if there's certain films that I like because of their style and what they can do and how much I feel I could adopt from that style as someone who does film myself, if that makes sense. So, like, I, I'm totally, like, there are loads of bad things about the film, some of which I notice and some of which I don't, but, like, the reason why I think there are certain films that I kind of give leeway and other films that I don't is that there are films that I watch and Wonka Wise films generally are ones where I definitely cut him a lot of slack because mm. I watch them and go, I really want to do that. And I, mm. I Also, like, just the imperfections in this film make the film, in my opinion. Like, yeah, California Dreaming is very annoyingly used, but it's also um, charming in that sense. And there's a lot of just whimsy in Chunking Express through yeah. the way it uses soundtrack. Yeah. A lot of it's very gleeful. Um, what I do like about the film is how woozy it looks through the method of step printing and how that adds to the theme yeah, of loneliness within printing the film. Mm, so going, we were talking about frame rate, uh, frame rate previously within Akira. So yes. step printing, it, I don't know how to explain this, is basically when... You remove some of the frames and you, from and you the clip. Duplicate, duplicate or triplicate uh, yes. them and play them at a different speed. So, yeah. for instance, Tony Lung uh, in a scene will be... Uh, if you were to shoot it, he would be slowly drinking a coffee... Very very slowly, and then the way when they step print it, everyone around him yeah, is, running is out really of focus fast, yeah. and running really fast. Yeah. But he is those moving were cool normally. Sequences. Yeah, um, those were cool and sequences. through that method, and he does it in uh, Falling Angels and in the Moon for Love, Love and yeah. pretty much all his films. Uh, through that, it creates a really woozy and lonely nature, mm. and similar to I remember because I was I had to, to study Derek Jarman uh, in for experimental film, similar to the way. And basically, tangent. Uh, Tilda Swinton, in a, a documentary on Derek Jarman, describes Super 8 as having uh, a texture to it and that you could like it feels like you can touch it and it feels like a painting. That's how I feel about step printing. Mm. It feels like a painting moving. Um, I'm surprised it hasn't, I haven't really seen it used in that many other films, but I, I love how it's used in Chunking Express. I know, I know um, Danny Boyle experiments with it quite yeah. a bit and he did it a lot in, in Slumdog Millionaire yeah Slumdog Millionaire yeah, he, he gave did, it, he did yeah. a lot of stuff of that and it's quite good but generally like again like I'd say like you were saying with Chunking Express it's one of those things where like I watch it and I go that's something I'd never thought about doing right. and now I'm mm. thinking about doing it and that's really really cool and I just love the way that it's this kind of Oh God, I'm going to get stabbed so much for saying it, but <laughs> it's kind of like a better French New Wave, really, in my opinion. Uh, in yeah, I agree. I 100% like, agree. I mean, like, I, 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 um, I, you know, love French New Wave. It was my, I'd say, my first cinema love insofar as that even before I went to college, it was the thing that I watched and enjoyed without being told to enjoy it, which is something that I think a lot of people struggle with where they kind of feel like they need to like things because that's what, their lecturers or that's what people have told them to like but for French New Wave I just liked it for liking its sake because it was something that appealed to me and then Chunking Express came along and kind of went you like that or here's this and I was like (laughs) whoa that's really really cool and like because I mean at the end of the day like French New Wave their writing is kind of just as sporadic as Chunking Express is in a sense I mean like I think 400 Blows is pretty structured relatively for a a New Wave film but other than that like you know yeah yeah. Um, sorry, I'm crashing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a great film. I, I just, I well, yeah, that's all I got to say. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've just really had a massive brain fart. It, it, it's it's one of those films where I feel like I love it, but I could never make it. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I, yeah. I could never. I don't think I'd get away with making it if someone like. If someone made that film as a short film with a digital camera at our university and submitted it, I think a lot of people would go, "What? Yeah, like that—that's clearly not good." Like, and I, it's kind of one of those things where it's kind of been protected by the fact that it's been done in the context of it being made by Wong Kar Wai, which is great because. I think even I, at some points, kind of pick up the fact that Faye Wong is kind of ad-libbing a bit badly in some scenes where you can kind of tell she really isn't, like, her, like even though I'm not, like, I can't speak the same language as them, I can quite clearly see that she's not really acting that well. Right. But I still forgive it and I still appreciate it because I think overall it's just this, it's like a different way of 
looking at cinema. It's like, and also like another thing, the cinematographer Christopher Doyle, his like process of shooting it is completely different to like any other cinematographer in the sense that he doesn't like to think of it in terms of narrative beats, in terms of writing, in terms of structure. He's very loose, like elucid, the opposite of lucid. Right. Mm. It's poetic. It's not about how the story is meant to make you feel. It's not about what's being said. It's about how the images feel to you in the same way that you'd look at a painting and go, that's a good painting. We don't really, I guess we don't really look at like an absurdist painting or kind of, I guess, a Picasso piece and go, what's that man supposed to be doing? And in the same sense, it's kind of just looking at it through a completely different lens of saying, this isn't meant to be appreciated in the same way a film like Dunkirk is meant to be appreciated. It's meant to be appreciated in this kind of ethereal sort of weird... Woozy. Woozy kind of dreamlike state, which appeals to some people and it doesn't appeal to other people, and that's fine. Uh, Which story... Like again, I said you can't really separate them. Can you? I don't know if you can compare them, but uh, which story do you prefer? Second one. Second one. Same. Yeah. Yeah. First one is. Um, it's like a prologue. Pro- yeah. First one's basically a prologue. Yeah. And, you know. Um, fun, fun little fact. Um, w- when Chunking Express came to America, it was advertised as Quentin Tarantino presents Chunking Express because <laughs> really? he basically helped get that film distributed uh, okay. in America. I feel like Tarantino kind of deserves a bit of credit for that. He's, yeah, he's done a he lot does. of like like. He he gets a lot of bad rap for a lot of different reasons, but I think if there's one thing that I do love about the guy, it's that he really promotes the underdog a lot. Like yeah. he he's done the same for Bong Joon Ho. Oh like, yeah, he mentioned didn't he? Yeah, the Oscars, like, but he, Bong Joon Ho was like, "Cheers, man!" For like always sticking by me, like yeah, yeah. because he's just in love with cinema. Like there isn't any of that snobbishness. There isn't that I think a, bias. a lot of you yeah. know other other filmmakers have. Yeah, <laughs> Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so Matt. As someone who's just watched it and watched us gush over it, what are your overall opinions? On uh, I think Express? get like, a room. <laughs> <laughs> get a room. You, you made an interesting so point, I think, of oh. that. You know, there are films which you can just appreciate for being just pieces of art. Yeah, I think, and you can just say, "Oh, this doesn't have a plot, but it's just nice to absorb." Yeah, you know, it's like I, a, I 100% like Akira. Agree, yeah. but I think with Chunking Express, it had just enough of a plot. I think for right. me to not put it in that category. I think because you compared it to there. like 2001, I think, which I think is purely just like visual and ethereal, yeah. isn't it? I, I, I don't think Chunking Express, in terms of like a ratio of plot to visuals, is at that same I, I level. Know. I mean, Chunking Express, no, not Chunking Express, 2001 <laughs> has a whole bit with a supercomputer that tries to kill people and then doesn't. That's true. And then that doesn't explain it. It does in yeah. the script, but let's <laughs> not go into 2001. Yeah, I, that's true. I, I agree with the sense, and it sounds pretentious to say it, but this is how I describe uh, watching Fallen Angels and Chunking Express and uh, other I mean, films by one. Fallen Angels is kind of like the third, yeah, act, the, the non-existent third act yeah. of Chunking Express, basically. Mm-hmm. The way I describe the Wong Kar Wai films that I've seen is that you have to let them wash over you. Which sounds pretentious to say, but it's just it does. It, it does. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. But like, it's, it, it sounds pretentious to say that, but it, it that's how it feels when watching it in terms of the step printing and the the style of the film. I I like it just as an experience of sitting with it and mm. not necessarily. I guess we are analysing it, but it, it's yeah. a good sit down experience for me. Uh, I I I just love the method of step printing and how how it works as a as a uh, visual narrative i'm running out of words (laughs) do you know what i mean for me it's just like i think it's kind of i view it the same way i kind of view life in some ways where it's kind of like it takes a very mundane concept and just runs with it to the extreme like it makes something that should be very boring like if it was shot by like a different filmmaker it would be a very boring shot reverse shot film but instead it's this film of just everything And I like that it kind of captures that feeling of almost how it feels to be alive sometimes, you know? So that's kind of nice. It's, I believe that's all we have time for. Yeah, I think we're 20 seconds away from our hour. Sorry, in the mood for love. (laughs) Have you got got 20 seconds of Chunking Express wrap-up, or...? (laughs) I think I've said what I needed to say, really. Yeah. I feel really pretentious with the washover quote, but that's just... No, I think... I I, I don't know how to explain it. If anyone's listening, go watch it. Maybe tomorrow my opinion will have changed about it. Fair enough. Go go watch Chunking Express. Maybe watch Akira. Maybe watch The King. 
don't watch The King. It's, you don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to. Um, <laughs> we were going to talk a bit about In the Mood for Love, but we I don't think we have ran time. out of time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that's a wrap. That literally, that's a wrap. Um, yeah. Do I have to say it as well? You can if you want to. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. <laughs> there we go. I'm going to press the off button.